Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for coming to Talking FTD with Jerry. When do I need more help? And boy, is this up my alley. I'm right there right now. And today we're going to break this up into four different months. So make sure you mark your calendars because these are all very important topics. Today we're going to cover when to get help and what types of non-residential help is available. So uh, I want to make sure that everybody uh, marks their calendars for the next time will be residential. After that, we will have how to introduce services and, and, uh, and where to, how to pay for them and so forth. And the last one will be the use of mental health system. So that comes up a lot about doing uh, site holds for, you know, med adjustment and all of that. So for four months, we're going to be covering you getting help. And, man, I need this just as much as every one of you listening. So, Jerry, without delay, lay it on us. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Um, we've been asked repeatedly um, about how people get help. How do I know if I need help? Um, the basic answer of that is if you think you need help or you're beginning to question it in your mind, that's a very good indicator that you need some help. Most dementias are what we call a team sport. You cannot take care of someone alone as a general rule. Now, I know somebody's going to run up to me and send me an email after the, I hang up and say, well, I took care of so-and-so all alone for a million years, and it was just wonderful. But the vast majority of us need help, uh, both for personal care, for activity time, but also so that you can prevent yourself from getting stress-related illnesses such as um, ulcers and migraines and all kinds of cancers and you're having your uh, health conditions exacerbate so that you're sicker and you can't quite figure out why. Very often it's just that you're overstressed and you need some help. Um, I like to think of it as a team sport. When I'm working with patients and a family says, you know, what help should I get first? I never say that personal care is the first help. The reason for that is that patients become resistant to that. You know, they don't, they don't have the insight very often to say, well, you know, I guess I do need help with personal care. And so they say, well, I don't need it. We'll call you when we need you, and that's it. And then you're stuck with a bill from somebody who came over to take care of your person and also try, still continuing to do it themselves. What we do is we shift the, initially, we shift the patient's attention that you need help not because the person needs help, but the, you need help. So one of the things we do is we start with housekeeping help because, you know, if you're taking care of someone with demanding illness, why would you wash the dishes and do the laundry too? Uh, or sweep the floors or that sort of thing. So that you can initially say to um, your person with dementia, my doctor says I need help because my stomach's acting up or I'm having headaches or whatever. Um, and that, you know, many times patients will do things for us that they won't do if they, we think, if they think that we're trying to, to take care of them better. Um, and that lack of, of 
understanding and insight gets to be almost like a battleground. So again, I'd start first with light housekeeping. Now, it's very important to understand that patients with dementia, most of them at some level have at least some understanding that something bad is happening. They may not be able to put their finger on it and say, I have FTD, but they understand that something bad is happening, and that kicks in their worst fear. People with demanding illnesses are absolutely terrified that they're going to be abandoned by family. And to them, use of services means that I'm one step away from a nursing home. And most people who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, their idea of a nursing home is not necessarily what it looks like today. Um, Their idea of a nursing home is a very dark sort of place where you go and people forget about you. Um, And that's just not the case today. Um, Again, we're going to start with housekeeping. When a housekeeper comes over, the first thing you're going to do is inform your person that you're going to have somebody in the house. And I would not inform them more than a day in advance because that gives them a chance to obsess about it. And, again, you're going to tell your person that the doctor is strongly recommended and insisting that you have services, housekeeping services. And the concept of help in the home, you don't really have to explain it very much, but start with having the person show up at your house the next day. Stay with the person. You may need respite desperately, but it's going to take you at least three weeks to get there. Um, So the person shows up. You greet them like you went to college with them. Long-lost friends, you know, it's somebody you knew. And allow the person's memory and, and deficits to kick in and protect you a little bit. So they're not going to say, well, I don't remember Barbara Jean, you know, and then you have to, you're stuck with saying, well, she and you went to college and blah, 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 or she and I went to college and, you know, that sort of thing. So therapeutic fiblets are going to have to be done. The first three times that the person is with your person, you're going to treat them like a long-lost friend. You're going to suggest some activities, very simple activities, um, that your patient likes to do. For example, taking a walk, walking the dog, uh, raking the lawn, um, folding laundry together, um, starting dinner, that sort of thing, um, so that you have something to do and something planned. I would keep away from daytime television while your person is there. Um, the reason is that the injured brain tends to pick up on the ideas that are displayed on the television set, and they, it begins to go into their narrative of what's going on. And you don't want that because people during the day very often don't watch PBS. They tend to watch things like Jerry Springer, um, Dr. Phil, Judge Judy, um, and those put ideas in the head of your patient. Um, you do Let's not... Back here a minute, uh, Jerry. So you're saying that this housekeeping help should actually be like a personal care person that you're eventually going to go out when they're there? Am I understanding that correctly? Um, eventually you're going to go out while they're, while they're there. 
if they allow to, you know, you have to reach an agreement with your person who's going to help you, you know, will they do, you know, help with starting dinner. All of the activities have to focus on the patient, though. Okay, and so somebody that, that, is, that is more on that side of things than just a, just some, a cleaning service. So you're not saying get housekeeping. We don't want a cleaning service. We want a human that the person is going to develop a one-on-one relationship with. Okay, gotcha. Um, you know, but initially it may be a cleaning lady or a cleaning person, not a cleaning service, but um, just somebody to come and stay with them. And the important thing is that the first three visits are getting to know you visits and that you're not going to abandon the person. Once your person, your patient, is used to this person in the house, you're not going to have a problem. So it's it's really worth that extra work that you put in to get the person adjusted. Don't ask your patient's permission because you know what they're going to say? We don't need this. <laughs> and they're going to be resistant anyway. And so you're going to have to be diplomatic, um, keep your temper under control, um, and just say, oh, you know, Harriet's here to visit and, you know, Sheena. And you and Harriet may end up having a cup of coffee and, cookies um, for the first few weeks until your person come, your patient comes in and starts visiting with them. Later on, when the person needs your patient, need, I'm going to say patient, I'm sorry, it's just easier to figure out who's who here. Um, later on, when your patient needs help with bathing and dressing and that sort of thing, he, w- he or she will trust this person because he knows them, and that helps. Um, Makes sense. You don't want to ask permission. You want to, um, you know, again, that it's for you. Now, the types of in-home care that you have in non-residential, the lowest level is what we call a companion care. This is a person without a lot of special training, if any, and they come in and they do activities with your person. Um, they might take them out to lunch. They might um, go to the store. They might uh, help with different tasks, uh, like I said, breaking leaves or something like that. Um, but it's basically focused on the patient. And one thing about people with FTD, they love attention. And so that's the easiest report to establish. The second is a home health aid. A home health aide is also often referred to as a bath lady. This is a person who's got some training. Um, generally, they can take a blood pressure, they can give a bath, they can give personal care, they can feed the person. So it's a it's higher level than the companion. Your cost for care um, is not assumed by Medicare. Um, the cost for care comes out of pocket for both companions and home health aides, unless uh, you meet the uh, guidelines for uh, poverty and can qualify for Medicaid. Um, And each state is different, so I can't tell you, but your department, what it would be, but your Department of Human Services uh, can get you started with that. In some states, in applying for Medicaid, You want to apply as early as possible, even though you don't qualify yet. 
And the reason for that is the, the different states allow you to, you as a spouse, to um, assume half of the assets plus a certain amount. Um, and there are, there are lids for it. It used to be, um, back when I was practicing in Iowa, we had patients that uh, the caregiver was left, once Medicaid kicked in, the caregiver was left with nothing. And that isn't the case anymore. But the earlier you start and the more you have on your initial application that you have in savings, the more you get to keep. For example, in Arizona, um, the caregiver gets half of the assets up to, I think it's 130000 but don't quote me. Um, and then an allowance on top of that. Um, but let's so let's say you have fifty thousand in savings. You would be able to keep twenty five thousand. But if you spent down till you had only twenty five thousand in savings, then you would only be able to keep thirteen thousand or twelve thousand five hundred. Um, so that the earlier you apply for Medicare or Medicaid, um, the better off you are in terms of long-term financial arrangements. Um, <clears throat> with um, Medicaid, many states will fund limited companion care. Many states will uh, uh, fund home health nurses, uh, some respite, um, and hospice care comes in under Medicare, but it's funded very much the same way. Um, the second is, or the third, I'm sorry, is adult day program. Adult day programs are absolutely the best thing that's happened in dementia care since the 1980s. Um, the, it usually uh, residents or patients will go for a couple of days a week. Um, you're Ideal would be three days a week if you can handle it. Uh, again, you want to go with your patient the first three times so that he or she doesn't feel like they're becoming abandoned. Um, and let them get caught up in the program, participate in the program, and pretend like you are having the time of your life. You know, you've never met a nicer group of people. You really love playing with silk parachutes and beach balls. I know that sounds crazy, but the more positive you are, the more positive your person is going to be. Some patients, because with FTD, your patients are young. Um, if you have a patient in your 40s and 50s, they're going to notice that everybody around them in the adult day program uh, doing activities is old, and that's going to bother a, a good number of them. And what we do is we have you meet with the director of the program in advance and see if they will agree to letting your person come in as a volunteer. Now, you know they're not volunteering. I know they're not volunteering, but they don't know they're not volunteering. Um, and they can pass out water cups. They can pass out supplies. Um, and in most cases, do a fairly credible job. You know, this is not a patient that has memory loss, so they're able to pretty much go with the flow. Um, they're able to establish some portions of a relationship, um, and they will get to the point where they really look forward to going to it. Again, two to three days a week. 
Um, the average cost of daycare um, varies enormously across the country. I would anticipate that it would be in excess of twenty dollars a day. Um, Sharon, what? How much do you? you yeah. Rods in we daycare. Go to, we go to one that's actually fairly low cost here in this area. Uh, it's forty-two dollars a day, and I'm in the Atlanta area. And uh, it includes lunch. They get a hot lunch, and um, it's from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., and it's $42, and it's uh, through a church. So uh, there are others available at the county level that are needs-based, so you can sort of get them reduced. Uh, there are some areas of the country, Jerry and I were talking beforehand, that uh, we have discovered that in Austin, Texas, there are nine free day centers, but they each do just one day. But they also have lunch, because what they do is they it's only one day a week, so they go to their local Panera Bread and say, could you bring in lunch once a month for us? Well, it's no big deal for Panera, and it's only once a month. So look for programs. Just Google day adult day and in your area. And you may be surprised with how many you might find. And both of mine resisted at first, and um, now it's just a routine, and they really enjoy it. And Rod, as Jerry said, Rod does a lot of helping. He uh, helps with getting drinks at lunchtime. It's a faith-based, it's in a church, and it's faith-based, so uh, they ask him to do the the, uh, blessing at lunchtime. So he feels more involved almost as a volunteer. So that's a really good way to approach it. And his program, he's not the youngest. So there are many, quite a few, I would say at least a third, are not elderly. So uh, I think you would be surprised. If you, if you visit some day centers, you may be very surprised that the age is dropping. So don't... And be- be creative. Um, I had one caregiver who her husband said, well, you know, you may think I'm going to volunteer, but I'm 55 and I worked as an attorney or whatever, and I'm not going to volunteer for everything, anything. And what she did was she got an envelope and a $20 bill, and every morning before the, the van picks him up to go to daycare, she slips the driver the $20 bill. He hands it to the program administrator who at the end of the day um, gives the envelope back to the patient saying, this is your pay for the day. And he gets home and turns the envelope, his paycheck, over to his wife, who recycles it day after day after day. Yeah, you do have to get creative sometimes. But if you just sit and think about what their trigger is, so like somebody like that who says, I'm not doing anything for nothing. I, I get paid for what I do. Well, pay them. If they have that volunteer heart and they're somebody that's volunteered their whole life, volunteerism might be very, very, look look very, very good to them. So you have to know what things your person is triggered by. So if it is volunteerism, go the volunteer route. If it is money, pay them. Whatever it takes to get them there, because believe me, once they get there, they're all in. And, and don't let them yeah, the other thing is that don't be afraid to to be fairly insistent. I I've got one adult day program person around here, and she refuses to let people the caregivers stay. 
well, we don't just don't use that center because, you know, the last thing you need is as a caregiver are more problems. Yeah, and look around. The adult day program at $42 a day is, is a bargain because you're getting people who are up from the companion in terms of training. Adult day program staff, as a general rule, are much better trained than in-home caregiver staff. Um, the more you pay for services, the better the trained employee as a general rule. Um, the other thing is that with adult uh, or with the companion services, you're at least around here, you're looking at between twenty five and thirty dollars an hour with a four hour minimum each day. So that's $120 a day. So you can see why adult day programming is so much better in terms of your long-term financial capacity um, and also socialization and being able to um, be maintained at home for a longer period of time. Um, The other thing that some facilities do, long-term care facilities, is they'll do what we call adult day respite. This is a little different than adult daycare because basically you're in the day room of a long-term care facility, usually a nursing home, and participating in the activity program, but there aren't the regulations and the stipulations for adult day participation with that. So it's good, particularly if you're in a rural area. I'm from Iowa initially, and, you know, there were – maybe 10 adult day programs in the state initially. Um, So the nursing homes that had empty beds, uh, nursing homes at this point are losing money in terms of um, the competition from uh, adult day respite and um, the assisted living programs is huge. And so they'll use that as a recruiting tool for their memory care programs. Um, you have to watch and make sure that, number one, there's supervision, and it should be continuous supervision. Um, and the other thing you want to make sure is that there's activities, because the last thing you want to do, the worst thing you can do, is have your loved one set in front of a television set all day long. And you can say, well, it's old movies, blah, blah, blah. That's not activity. What we're looking for is that in early dementia care, well, actually throughout the whole disease, activities are the most important thing. Um, yeah, planning. I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jerry. Planning um, should be done as quickly as possible, uh, particularly with people with FTD and behavioral variant. You're going to need to have your um, powers of attorney in place. You're going to need to have money management program in place so that you're not trying to get things together at the last minute while you're trying to enroll somebody in uh, a participant program. I, I was going to say that my mom, uh, before before Rod was diagnosed with FTD, I would uh, take my mother uh, to an assisted living memory care center, and they had sort of a drop-in kind of thing where it was like $7 an hour, and if she were there during lunchtime, uh, she could, you know, she could have lunch, 
and they had activities, but it was not at the same level as the day center. So oftentimes I would come to get her, and she would be sitting and reading a book. So there were more times that she wasn't engaged there. And, yes, it was only $7 an hour, and it seemed like a good bargain. But Jerry's right. There weren't real activities. They did have some activities, but it was not an all-day kind of go thing like they are at the day center. There, let me just tell you the schedule at the day center where they go, just so you get some idea of what a day center offers you. When they get there in the morning, they have coffee and a little snack, usually fruit or something like that. Then um, they go in, because it is faith-based, they have like a devotional, and they have some hymn singing, so they have some music. Then after that, they do chair exercising. And believe me, I've been there. It's a workout. They do uh, chair exercising and throwing the beach ball back and forth and all things like that. Then they have lunch. Then after lunch, there is an activity. Sometimes it's a crafty kind of artsy thing. Other times it's a game. Uh, So it kind of alternates what they do so that everybody is engaged. And then from the last hour, they have somebody that comes in and plays uh, whatever songs are requested. They play the piano, they sing, they dance. So that's the structure of that day at the day center. When my mother went to an memory care, it was drop her off whenever. Um, they had some activity in the morning, not not a lot. Then sometimes after lunch, they did a little craft thing. And then when I would come pick her up, and I would pick her up, like she was only there like three hours, and I would pick her up and she'd be reading her book. So much less activity, just to give you an idea of the difference. If your patient is a little bit further along than somebody who can tolerate activity, make sure that they've got a recliner or something that your person can get a 60-minute rest after lunch without a TV on. Uh, that may make the difference between having a good evening after daycare and having a terrible evening. Yeah, that's a good point. There's a quiet room where uh, Rod and Mom go, and Rod has used that quiet room because he has bad days and he knows when they're bad, and sometimes they could tell when they're bad. And there's a, a quiet room where he can go and be by himself with, with supervision and he can just rest if he wants. So, yes, I I agree. That's important. In the last few minutes, I wanted to reinforce one thing. You you want to check out uh, both the Alzheimer's Association and um, the uh, AFTD for advice on good services um, and who they rely on. The other thing is, I've forgotten what I was going to say. Oh, Understanding that Medicare pays for almost nothing of these services. Actually, they pay for nothing of these services. Um, the the way that that funding was set up for this generation was that they want seniors spending down so that they don't have to rely on adult children for funding uh, or other family members. So. Understand that you're going to have to pay out of pocket, but that, trust me, is not a reason to not use services. I will see everybody next week or next month. Yeah, next month we'll be uh, 
We'll be talking about residential care. When is it needed? How do you pay for it? How do you make the transition? So that will be next month. And don't forget, this is going to be a four-month series. So make sure that you um, get, get with us and watch each one of these if you can't attend live. I know that these uh, podcasts are looked at afterwards very often. And, um, Jerry, thank you once again for all your words of wisdom. I don't know what we would do without you. You give us most practical advice. And, uh, thank you. I so appreciate the time you give us each so we're just about at the end here. Um, I just want to put a plug in. Rod is desperate to see orders in his mailbox for the 2019 FTD calendar. So <laughs> you could go to ftdarn.org, and in their online store, you can pre-purchase the calendar uh, right there, and you can use PayPal. So it's easy this year. You don't even have to write a check to me. Do that. So um, we got 60 seconds left. Again, Jerry, thank you very much. Remember to attend our next three months to make sure you get all of this, how to get help, because this is a really important topic. Thank, thank you all for attending, and we'll talk to you next month. Bye-bye.